All right, good afternoon. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Hey, my name is Anthony Saladino. I am the campus director at Bradford University and Virginia Tech. And um, man, grateful to be here with you guys. We are in the, the spiritual Jesus. So our session today is the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so our goal for today is kind of to, to look at Jesus's life and how uh, the spirit was upon him. And yet, what does that mean for us today as a believer, as a follower of Jesus? Does that sound good? And so what I'd like to do is just open us up in some prayer. So would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for all that you're doing, God, here at this conference. We ask, God, that as we come together for this time and just even for all of the sessions in this track, God, I pray that you would take us to the deeper places of your heart. God, that you would help us to receive all that you have for us, God. And Lord, I pray for those of us that have questions about the things of the Spirit. God, I pray that as we, we look briefly in our time together at the life of Jesus and, and who the Spirit is, not only in Jesus' life, but in ours, God, I pray that you would just bring a deeper sense of revelation, um, help us to see what is that you have for us personally, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. <clears throat> so the spirit empowerment of Jesus. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us at his birth. If you look, if you have your Bibles, we'll be turning and I'm going to have some of you guys read some scripture. So make sure you pull out your Bible, um, whether that is your written copy or your uh, electronic copy. But uh, Matthew 1 23 basically says this behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel meaning God with us and we see that Jesus through Jesus's life that he was sinless perfectly sinless and submitted to the Holy Spirit and so if you turn to uh, Hebrews 4:15, we see this reality Basically says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then be, then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So you may say, well, okay, what does that mean? How is he sinless? He was tempted in every way. I, I don't know about you, but when we think about the fact that this, Christianity in and of itself is, is set apart from every other religion in that, first of all, that God desires personal and intimate relationship with you. But how many in the world can say that the God that we serve and we love can identify with every way that we've been tempted yet has remained without sin? Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but that, that kind of blesses my heart in that reality that there's the God that wants to walk with me, knows exactly what I'm going through, and he's overcome those things. Therefore, I can, in those moments that temptation comes in, walk with this God to help me not succumb to the temptation that is all around us. Amen? Isn't that awesome that he knows exactly what we're going through? So we see this 
as God. We see Jesus did not perform any miracles before his baptism. Okay, so we know, obviously, we... We, we see the birth of Jesus, and then he has these anonymous years. There's this moment when he's like 12, and he's in the synagogue, and he's like teaching, and they're kind of blown away by that, uh, that moment. But other than that, there's not much that we have. But we do see that when he's baptized in water, right, in, in Luke chapter 4, when he's baptized in water, um, the Spirit of God descends upon him in the form of a dove, right? You guys... We'll look at that a little bit more later. And then from there, he's led into the wilderness, and then he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And his ministry begins. His earthly ministry begins. And so it's, it's interesting to me that we see this. And we'll, again, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more in a second. But Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 3, the end of Luke chapter... I'm sorry, not the end... But right there in 21 and 22, this is where he's baptized. This is what the Word of God says. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with you I am well pleased. And so we see this is the beginning of his earthly ministry Jesus performed his earthly ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. I read this this morning in that, that announcement, but, but Acts chapter 10, 36 through 38, we see that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll never forget the first time I read that verse, kind of like, whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy that Jesus, who is fully God, was filled with the Holy Spirit at this moment, right? And so all of a sudden, you know, Listen, we live in a world where, even in the church world, where we see this, these, these vast differences in theology when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what your background is. I don't know what, what you've grown up learning about the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that I'm blown away is that God incarnate, God in flesh, came down to earth. And, and in Philippians, we see that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he emptied himself and became a man. That at the mark in the beginning of his earthly ministry, the Spirit fell upon him, came down upon him. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, here's the deal. And in Colossians, we see 1.19, that the fullness of God dwelt in him, was pleased to dwell in him. Yet for some reason, in this moment, we see that the Spirit comes upon him, yet Jesus, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're one, right? Three persons, one God, and so if they're all one, what is going on here? I think it's so important for us to understand that God desires us to see, as his followers, as followers of Jesus that he relied on the power of the Spirit. Do you understand? Like That's why we read that in Acts chapter 10. That's why we see that the beginning of his earthly ministry, there was this moment where the Spirit, the heavens were open and the Spirit came down upon him. Like We, can't, we cannot miss this. We need to understand that there's something so significant for us here in this moment. As Jesus begins his earthly ministry, before he does that, 
at right around age 30, right, that, that the Spirit comes upon him to empower him. And then you see the mark of his ministry, a mark, a ministry that is marked by signs and wonders as he proclaims the good news of the gospel. Right? We can't miss this reality. And here's the thing. First of all, you need to understand that when the Spirit came down upon Jesus, this was confirmation to John the Baptist that he was the Messiah. Because God told him that the one whom you see the Spirit rest upon is the Messiah. And so this was... So this moment was also confirmation of who Jesus was. We see that Jesus was led by the Spirit. After that moment, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So also we see this moment, this this incredible moment for us, is that we see as followers of Jesus that even Jesus was led by the Spirit as the Son of God. And we can learn as we read and study the life of Jesus from the Scriptures, what does it look like to be led by the Spirit? Now, if you, again, if we go back to Hebrews 4.15, we see right that he was sinless, that he was tempted in every way. If you, if you jump over to first, I mean first, James 1.14... This is what the Word of God says there. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So what, why would I read that? Well, we know that he was tempted in every way, but he was not lured in by his own desire. And so what does that mean? That means he was, he was submitted to the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. And we see more of that in Romans chapter 8. So you flip all the way back over to Romans 8. And I think it's important for us to make these connections to see... How Jesus walked. Romans 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and from sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so we see that Jesus submitted himself to this, the Spirit of God, to the Holy Spirit. And so he was able to live this, this life and, and this example for us in the, that he was led by the Spirit. The Bible also says in 1 John 2, 5, the second part of verse 5 and, and 6. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Friends, that, that as we are set out to follow Jesus, may we be led by the Spirit in the same way that Jesus was led by the Spirit. May we walk and submit ourselves to the things of the Spirit. That was 1 John 2, 5 and 6. Jesus also came out of this wilderness moment. So the Spirit led him into this wilderness moment, and he came, the Bible says he came out of the wilderness experience in the power of the Spirit. Nothing changed with who Jesus was. His nature and his essence was the same. But now he, he, he comes out of this moment in power. And I, the reason I, I think this is significant is because 
a lot of us have these moments of encounter with the things of the Spirit. And, and I think some of us really want to, and desire to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation. And, and it is the grace gifts. There's nothing you can to do to earn it. But I think there's something significant here. And I, and I just challenge you as a, as a movement that is looking to see revival, looking to see people ripped out of hell and set into eternal life, see blind eyes open spiritually and physically, to see the lame walk, to see these things, the gifts of the Spirit in full operation. I just challenge you. Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then he spends 40 days fasting in the wilderness where he's tempted by I mean, tempted by the devil, not by God. <laughs> tempted by the devil. And he uses the scripture to combat the lies of the enemy, the temptation of the enemy, to fight back in that moment. And I just think it's significant that we just can't overlook all of that. There was something that happened in the wilderness in that moment that allowed him to come out. Now, he's, the Spirit already was upon him. But there's something significant about that. And I just challenge us as a, as a movement. Would we walk in humility? See, fasting is a gift to all of you, to all of us as the body of Christ, to bring humility into our life, to understand we need God. And, and I think we don't operate in this, this discipline nearly enough to see the kind of things we want to see, we better be walking in a place of humility. We better be walking in a place because if God starts using you to raise the dead and to, to, to heal people with cancer and to, to speak words of knowledge and you don't walk in humility, let me tell you something. All of a sudden, there's going to be a great crash that comes to your life. And I just think there's something significant as we, as we talk about the things of the Spirit, as we talk about Jesus being filled with the Spirit, we can't miss that he spent these 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted. In the same ways, friends, that, that the enemy still tempts us today. And he comes out because he overcame by the grace of God and, and, and his relationship with, with the Father. He overcomes and he uses the, the word. He comes out of that moment in the power of the Spirit. Perhaps maybe, and this is just my suggestion, perhaps maybe when God sees that we, we are posturing ourselves in a place of humility, then he can entrust you with the things that we're about to see Jesus do. Because Jesus says, even greater things will you do than I. And so, wait a second. <laughs> You're like, Jesus did some pretty amazing things. Right? Raise the dead. That's pretty, pretty awesome. And he says, even greater things will you do. How many have raised the dead in the last week? Or prayed for a headache and seen the headache go? Or a broken ankle and seen them all? This is, this is the kind of stuff that, or delivered people who are oppressed demonically. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus came to do. In fact, right after he comes out of, the, out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, what does he do? He's in the synagogue, and he, 
he reads Luke 4.18, which is a prophecy from Isaiah 61. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of this. And so let's just go there. Luke 4, 18. This is what he says. He takes the scroll, the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. That the spirit who spoke in Isaiah 61 is the same one who has anointed Jesus and Jesus recognizes at this moment that there is an, an anointing upon his life, that he was empowered to bring healing, freedom, and hope to the broken. The word anointing here means to rub or sprinkle on, to apply ointment or oily liquid. You see, per, people in the Old Testament were often literally anointed with oil for special service. So priests were anointed for their special service to the Lord. And see, the Father has anointed Jesus with the Spirit as our high priest, Jesus, to the messianic office and the furnishing him with the necessary powers for its administration. I think that's interesting, right? That we, that we see that Jesus is anointed to, to step into this office, to this place. And he's submitted to that. It's amazing. You see, Jesus often went around. It says in Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. Believe that God desired deeply to, to not only share that there's good news, that, that there's hope, that his reign and his rules here, but to, to demonstrate that reality. You see, signs and wonders, it, they're, they're, this healing that, that he brought was evidence that he was the son of God, the son of man. That his kingdom and his reign and rule were at hand, that they were near. And so that's something that I think we've got to understand too, is that, that when Jesus went around preaching, when Jesus went around the, the signs and wonders, the healings, the miracles were evidence that his kingdom had come. That it was being fleshed out here and now. I love one of my favorite passages of scripture is Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, where he heals the paralytic, where the guys bring the, the paralytic to him, right? They lower him through the roof, and he's like, hey, your sins are forgiven. You know, nobody in the room was expecting Jesus after the miracles that had already been seen or hearing about. Nobody expected Jesus to be like, your sins are forgiven. All of them expected him to heal him. Heal him. But Jesus, seeing this guy's most desperate need, says your sins are forgiven. Now there's an uproar in the hearts of the Pharisees, right? Who can, how can he do this? He can't forgive. Only God can forgive sins, right? And when we think about that, that... All sin is against God. It's just like your loans. Like, I can't come to you and say, hey, listen, I got great news to you. 
forgive all your student loans. I don't know if you have student loans. But we're going to forgive all your student loans. They're like, oh, that's awesome. Except for the fact that she didn't borrow the money from me, so I can't forgive those loans. She didn't take the money off the roof. So it's the same way. The only one that could forgive sin is God. Why? Because all sin is against God. And therefore, we've got to understand that in this moment, right, the people are saying in their hearts, who, who is this guy, this blasphemer? He, how can he do this? And Jesus reads their hearts and says, he says this, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. He looks at the paralytic and says, rise, pick up your mat and go home. And he gets up. And again, it's, it's more than the physical healing. What is Jesus doing? The indirect claim right there that, that he is God in this moment. So that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin. Get up and walk and go home. That's, that's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff, right? It's the indirect claim. You see, again, his healing and deliverance Ministry was the physical manifestation of the fact that his kingdom, his reign, and his rule was here. This is the reality of what we read in Luke chapter 4 when he says, The Spirit is a Lord, the Lord is upon me. This is what's happening after this moment. He's fleshing that out for people to see that, that he really is. The God man. And we see this throughout scriptures. Then what does he do? He even invites his disciples to go and do likewise. He invites his disciples to do likewise. Before we go into that much, though, let me say this. Uh, David Gutzig says, Jesus announces that he came to heal the fivefold damage that sin brings. And I just want to share this with you guys because... I think that if we're really followers of Jesus and we really want to, to operate in the same power and, and uh, anointing that Jesus walked in, which I think is available to all of us, then we need to understand that, that Jesus came to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor, because sin can impoverish people, right? That the results of sin can bring people to be impoverished in life. And so Jesus wants to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, because sin breaks hearts. Sin damages people. And Jesus has good news for the brokenhearted. There's healing for them, emotionally, physically, spiritually healing. To proclaim liberty to the captive, because sin enslaves us, right? And Jesus set people free from the bondages of sin. See, all of a sudden, now when we step back just for a moment, as we see this announcement, we realize, listen, there's nothing we can do in our own strength and in our own power to see these things begin to happen in the lives of the people on our campuses. Like there's nothing in me that can set somebody free from the bondage of pornography. There's nothing in me that can bring healing to those who are sexually abused as children. There's nothing in me. But when the Spirit of the Lord comes, freedom begins to happen. 
That's the good. When you think about the good news of the gospel, it's, yes, Jesus died on a cross and he rose again, conquering sin, death, and grave, that we could have this relationship and be reconciled unto God. But the fact of the matter is the thing that sets Christianity apart from anything else besides, again, this grace thing, nothing you could do to earn it, is that the spirit of the living God decides to come and live in you. Come on. That's got to get somebody excited that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in those who confess Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. That's to change the way that you walk around campus. I love, uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard this guy, but Watchman Nee. He's, he's written a few really good books, and actually I've read a few of his books, and I don't remember which specific book this is in. But he said, listen, if, if you had 50 cents in your pocket, and you're walking down, I don't know, whatever, this, this camp, and you're walking on campus... Right? It's not going to change the way that you walk. Right? 50 cents, not a big deal. Falls out of your pocket, nothing. But if you had a couple million dollars in your pocket, which I wouldn't recommend carrying around, but if you did, you probably would walk around with this hand in your pocket making sure that thing didn't move, right? So in other words, it changes the way you walk. Well, we have the spirit of the living God living inside of us. Does that change the way that you walk on campus? See, all of secularism and all these things wants to teach you that you're the minority. But when the Spirit of God, the King of Heaven, dwells in you. Now, when you step into a classroom, when you step on campus, you're the majority. What if we start living that way? That we have a job to do to come and see that the Spirit of the Lord dwells in us. And the same thing that he sent Jesus to do. Now the Spirit of Jesus, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that, that indwells us as believers, wants to bring the same message. Wants to begin to, to destroy the work of sin. He says, recover the sight of the blind because sin blinds us. We're unable to see our need for a Savior. We're unable to see the need for forgiveness. And Jesus restores sight to the spiritually blind as well as the physically blind. And he said to set at liberty those who are oppressed because sin oppresses people. And Jesus came to set them free. You see, when, when we're followers of Jesus and we understand this fundamental thing of Christianity, that the Spirit of God comes to live inside you and that this is what Jesus came to do, that the Spirit of God anointed him to bring forth this ministry. How many people on our campus fall under this, these categories? And they're just waiting for the good news that there's hope for them in their bondage. They need their eyes to be physically, spiritually opened to the things of God. But see, if we don't understand how important it is for us to grab hold of these truths and to walk them out on a daily basis, not just on the night that our Chi Alpha meets, but on a daily basis, what could begin to happen on our campus? Because you get this reality. This was Jesus' his ministry, and he's invited all of us to partake in this ministry. And the Spirit has come to dwell in all of you, to bring these truths to your campus. So I, let's jump on to 
part two here, the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Okay, we've already talked about we must affirm that every believer has the indwelling of the Spirit at the time of conversion. Romans 8, 9 through 17, I'm not going to read that whole passage, but just uh, verse 9 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, when you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. If, if that's not happening, then, then, then you're not his child. But once you say yes to him, in, in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Again, I've already alluded to this reality, but when you said yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God came to dwell inside of you, and he longs to, to, to continue to, to move in and through your life, but it's also this guarantee, this guarantee that we are sons and daughters of the living God, and there should be a confidence that rises up in us when we understand that we're the, the children of God. There's no greater privilege in all of the planet than to call God Father. Come on. That the one who's all-powerful, all-knowing is your heavenly Father. So when you sit in organic chemistry, you got a father who knows organic chemistry. And he's on your side. Come on, physics. Whatever it is. There's no greater privilege. And so we see through scripture that at the moment of conversion, the spirit comes to indwell us. Now, again, I pointed to this reality earlier. Jesus is God incarnate, right? So this triune God, three persons, one God, they're all one. Yet Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. You know, I find it very interesting that Jesus' earthly ministry started after the water baptism comes up, the spirit opens, the spirit descends upon him like a, a dove. The, this voice of the father says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And then boom, it takes off, right? His ministry takes off. Now, I find it very interesting that after Jesus ascends, right? Well, right before he ascends, he tells his disciples to do what in Jerusalem? To wait to wait for the promise of the Father, to wait for the Holy Spirit before they begin their earthly ministry apart from his presence. Are you following me? Now, there are moments, obviously, that Jesus right, sent them out and he anointed them. In those moments, he anointed them to go out. And yet in this moment, we see that there's this, this moment where Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. There's so much to be done, but I don't want you to begin until you receive the promise of the Father. I just, I, I don't know about you, but I, I find those two things extremely interesting. That Jesus, being fully God, did not start his earthly ministry until the Spirit came upon him. And then he asks his disciples to go and wait, not to do any ministry, 
until they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. I just I find that very interesting, and I think we need to to hold on to that reality. But here are some ways the Holy Spirit impacts us. So you got a list of scriptures there in your notes. I just felt like this is this is uh, important for us to see. But this is these are the ways the Holy Spirit impacts us. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter thirteen two. And if I could just have somebody volunteer to read that out. And if it takes too long, I'll just pick on you. So, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, so the Holy Spirit speaks, right? He told them. He spoke. Now, let me just say this to us because I think we we always you know I think I don't know if it was Sean last night he said that that generally speaking God whispers right now I just want I want to challenge you guys listen if the spirit dwells inside of you if the spirit dwells inside of you those moments where you have those thoughts that line up with the character nature and the word of God are more likely the spirit communicating from the inside. Why? Because that's where he is. More than your, you know, your turkey sandwich last night or your pizza. You know what I'm saying? Like we've got to, as children of God, that we would understand that the Holy Spirit longs to communicate to us, and He probably does more than you believe He does because He's inside. And so those spontaneous thoughts when you're walking on campus. And he says, and you feel like, I should pray for that person. What in your flesh wants to do that? Right? Nothing. So I challenge you. The Holy Spirit speaks. Speaks to us. I remember, uh, man, there's uh, times where I've been in places where it also says later that he gives us the words to speak when we stand before kings. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. I can't tell you how many times I've been on campus witnessing to students, and I'm like, man, I've got nothing else to say. Holy Spirit, I need you now, you know? I was at, early on, one of my favorite stories is uh, I, I used to do this question of the day when I was uh, giving a year to the Chi Alpha at the University of Montana. And I would stand, you know, it's like wicked cold 24-7 365 days a year in Montana. And so we weren't out on campus. We were in the student center. Thank God. And uh, I had my little board. I had no Bible, no nothing, just a whiteboard. And it said, if there's one thing you can know before you die, what would it be? And there was this guy standing off in the back. He was just like, he just stood there and stared me down. Like, man, if, if his eyes were laser beams, I would have been dead, you know, in 30 seconds. And so he just stood there, and he was like a good, I don't know, at least 100, 100 feet away. And he just stared. And these girls came up. They answered the question. Finally, he got, I guess, the courage enough to come up and ask me. And he goes, I want to know why people, and he cussed. So I, I want to know why beep, people believe in God. And I'm like, you know, I got all nervous. And I'm like, I don't know what to say to this guy. So I just stood there. And I said, well, you could write that up there, but would you mind leaving the, the curse word off the board? 
And he's like, then there's no reason to put it up there. I was like, okay. And so then I step back. I'm like shaking, you know, on the inside. And I'm thinking, How, what? I've got no Bible. I don't, I don't understand this guy. So I just, I just started praying. The Holy Spirit needs your help. And all of a sudden, I said, listen, I believe in God. And he's like, why? You know, getting up in my face. And I'm like, listen, I could tell you why. I could tell you what the Bible says. I could tell you how God's changed my life. But that, at the end, it's, it's not going to matter to you. I said, but let me ask you a question. If you're right, and there is no God, and the both of us die today, you not believe in God, and I believe in God, and there really is no God, and both of us die today, then we're both okay at the end of the day. When we die, we'll both be okay. But friend, if you're wrong, and I'm right, and there is a God who loves you and, and, and sent his son to die for you so that you can have eternal life with him, then and we both die, then guess what? I'm okay and you're not. In both cases, I'm okay and you're not. And his mouth just hit the floor. He dropped the dry erase marker and took a step back. And he said, you're right. And in that moment, I was like, wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because I don't know where that came from. And I, other than him, right? Because in that moment, I had nothing other than, God, I need your help in this moment. And I, I, can, I love that story because sometimes when we talk to people on campus, we can be fearful of their anger and their hurt inside. But there's a God that just wants to heal them and love them right where they're at if we're only asking him to reveal those things. And so I just want to encourage you with that. The Holy Spirit speaks. John 15, 26. Hey, just for time's sake, I probably should just roll through these. John 15, 26 says, uh, the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. He bears witness to Jesus. John 14, 26 says, the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us into all truth. Hey, can I say something? Hey, when you sit down to, how many of you guys have sit down to, to read the word and maybe for years and you're just like, yeah, it's just like reading words off a page. Can I just invite you to ask the Holy Spirit? Hey, would you lead and guide me into truth? What are you saying to me today? He, he wants to have this relationship with you. Invite him into to doing that. Um, as this is what the Holy Spirit, these are one of the ways that he in, impacts the believer. John 16, 8 says he convicts the world of sin. Listen, we, we need the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. There's nothing we can do even in uh, you know, sharing our faith on campus unless the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. Right? There's not going to be any change. I'm grateful when I feel convicted. Because I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> the Spirit's still speaking to me. You know? I love that. There's nothing greater. I, Michelle and I, my wife and I, we love when we step into a, a place, we read the Bible, or, or there's something that happens and we feel conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, Romans 8, 26 says, He intercedes for us. Acts 16, 6 through 7, He directs us. He stopped Paul from going places. Listen, this is so incredible important for us to understand. Can I just say, we're such creatures of habit. Will, will you submit your life to the Spirit to direct you even on your way to camp? Because you walk the same way to class every day. But what if the next, you know, when you start this new semester, you got to figure out your routes, you know, so once you get your route down, what if two weeks in, three weeks in, when you start going to class, you just start asking the Spirit, Holy Spirit, which, which way do you want me to go? You know how many times, like, 
When we, when we ask the Holy Spirit to do that, he will cross your path with somebody who maybe has stopped going to your life or whatever you call your Bible study. Or, or maybe somebody that, you, an old roommate of yours. If we just allow him to direct our paths. Also, I love, I love it. You know, when my, my wife and I, we were, uh, we used to work at UVA with Pete Bulat um, on campus there. When we were feeling transition, we felt like God was going to call us to Penn State. Man, we had dreams, all kinds of stuff. But the Holy Spirit, boom, shut the door. And now we're at Virginia Tech, praise God, in Radford, you know. And so, grateful that the Holy Spirit directs us and, and, and guides us and, and leads us. 1 Corinthians 2.11 reveals the thoughts of God. Matthew 10.18-20 gives us the words to say. Kind of shared that already. Acts 7.51, he can be resisted. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we can quench the Spirit. In Hebrews 10.29, we can insult the spirit of grace. I just wanted you guys to see this about the things of the Holy Spirit because I think it's in, as, as the spirit is in our life, we have to understand our relationship with him and, and how he can impact our life is pretty essential to living a life in the spirit. Amen? And so, But let's dive into some tra- traditional views of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, number one is salvation. This is the, the Reformed tradition has emphasized the activity of the Holy Spirit in the initiation of conversion. We are made to be people of the Spirit, animated by the Spirit. Galatians 3.14 equates the blessing of Abraham to the gift of the Spirit. This is what God is all about, making a people for himself that are people of the Spirit. Born again of the Spirit, John 3, 3 through 6. Regeneration, Titus 3.5. Again, seal of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Number two, sanctification. The Wesleyan tradition has subsequently emphasized the activity of the Holy Spirit in holiness or sanctification, the, the, the process of becoming more like Jesus or becoming holy, um, the fruit of the Spirit. And, and lastly, the empowerment of the Spirit. The Pentecostal tradition emphasizes the charismatic activity, gifts, empowerment of the Spirit in worship and service. Luke 24, 49, clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, 39 through 40. Again, these are all things that you guys can take a look at. The posture of talking about the empowerment of the gifts is the one, is one of weakness. This is uh, a statement that, that my buddy Pete often talks about is, listen, we must understand that it is from the place of weakness. It's not, not that we are better than anyone or that the Holy Spirit makes us better than anyone. It's that he empowers us to be witnesses to the things of, of God. And, and how many, as we talk about the things of the Spirit, how many of us wouldn't want and wouldn't desire to be empowered in that way? Like God desires to reveal himself through his children to other people. And this is one of the ways that he does that, that he empowers us through the, the Spirit of God. Gordon Fee, a theologian, says, the net result has tended toward a truncated view of the Spirit on all sides. For Paul, life in the Spirit meant embracing both fruit and gifts simultaneously and vigorously, what I have come to call life in the radical middle. 
one of the things that I think that I was alluding to in the reality of Jesus in the wilderness. See, God is so concerned about also our character and who we are and becoming more like Jesus that, that he, will, he will be working on that. And, and I think that as we begin to grow in the things of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit must be evident in our life as well as the gifts of the Spirit. You don't want to just go after one and not the other. Does that make sense? Because if the Spirit is upon us, we want to be people that operate from a place of love and faith and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. These are essential. These are, these are aspects of, of, of the Spirit in our life. And I think as we embrace those, that we don't throw out one or the other, that we understand that even as Pentecostals, even as, as a charismatic movement, that we would embrace all of them, that they're all essential to a life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was lavished on the New Testament believers with tangible evidence of the work of the Spirit among them, so much so that, that Paul points to the experience of the Spirit and his miracles among them as the first evidence of the fact that they were saved by grace through faith and not by works of the law. Basically, all of that has happened among you. Is that happening because of the works of the law or because, of, of, because you believe by faith? Galatians 3, 1 through 5. And so, we need, again, we need to see and understand that, that this is important. The empowerment of the Spirit slash baptism of the Spirit. Um, the history of the Spirit empowerment in the Old Testament. You see the Spirit at work in the Old Testament. Exodus 31, 2 through 3. Bezalel, Moses, Numbers 11, 17. The 70 helpers of Moses, Numbers 11, 25 through 29. And Moses even says, I wish all of the Lord's people were prophets. Balaam, Numbers 24, 2 through 3. Several judges, there's some scripture for you. Saul, 1 Samuel, and David, 1 Samuel 16, 13. I think it's interesting that 77 people in, the, in these passages in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, kings, 71 of them, uh, when they receive the Spirit, the evidence is by something vocal. They prophesy. Um, the empowerment of the Spirit in the Old Testament was for a select few who were leaders, judges, or prophets. It was for the purpose of empowering them, equipping them for their positions. So a specific person for a specific task at a specific time. Are you following me? And so prophecies from Scripture about the day of Pentecost. So we see that the day of Pentecost was fulfillment of a prophetic utterance. You see this in Luke 3.16, you can go there. As starting in first feet, as, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals... I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we see he says that in Mark and in Matthew as well. Um, Luke twenty four forty Sorry, I forgot what verse. 49. And behold, I am sending you the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. These verses show that the day of Pentecost was not just some side note, but tremendously important event. Jesus told them, 
told them the Great Commission, but told them not to go anywhere because they needed to be empowered by the Spirit, and God wanted them to do that. I also think it's interesting that we see that when this happens, we see this as the fulfillment of Joel 28 through 29. Peter emphasizes that it is the universal, it is universal in status, not geographical or chronological. The Holy Spirit is for the young as well as the old, for the female as well as the male, for slaves as well as free. The prophetic gift of the Spirit is to be no longer restricted to specifically called or endowed charismatic leaders as it was in the Old Testament times. Indeed, in the last days, the gift of the Spirit is potentially universal as the gift of grace, Acts 2.39. So all believers have access to this power through the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting, too, to see that Peter did not quote Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, because that prophecy focused on the internal aspect. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. God will be a surgeon. I will put my spirit in you. It is the dynamic of the Holy Spirit that will bring about a person truly knowing God in his heart and nature and walking according to it. And so I think it's interesting that we see that dynamic, right? That we see there was prophetic utterances of the indwelling as well. And I've already shared this with you, but um, the very purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of a life in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, is to empower our witness. To empower our witness. Okay, so in the book of Acts, you see that after the day of Pentecost, these guys received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And... um, and as, he, as they did that, all of a sudden you see the church explode, right? Peter, who denies the Lord three times and is restored on the beach, comes forth and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit and he preaches and 3,000 are added to their number. I mean, just a boldness takes over him. And I just want to encourage you, listen, this is the reality. It, 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 those of us that, that receive and walk in a life of the Spirit... This is, I think that we should just desire more, right? That we should come from the place and the posture of God. I want whatever you have for me. That when we see the state of our campuses, when we see the state of, of this nation and of the world, man, it must, it must grip our heart to desire more of God, to walk in the ways that Jesus walked so that we can see people set free and delivered and made whole. That something should grab hold of us as a generation that says, I'm not okay with this. And if if this is not happening, then I think we should begin in the place of prayer and say, God, please awaken me to the work of the Spirit. Pour out your Spirit upon me again and again and again and never be satisfied because there are far too many people that have no clue that they are headed to hell. You see, I believe with all my heart that this generation desires an authentic move of God. And they're waiting for a generation that can both walk in love, in kindness, in goodness, in patience, in peace, in self-control, and at the same time operate in the power of the Spirit. Not because of 
who you are, but because of who he is. Are you following me? There, is, there are people that are held captive that Jesus came to set free, but they don't know there's a, an opportunity to be set free. This is why I believe we need to understand what it means to be people of the Spirit. You see, I, I, I long for the moment that when that you're gathering on your campus, people start coming and flocking because it's the only place they can find freedom from the bondage. I mean, what would happen if Kyle on your campus was the place when people are depressed, they bring you because they know that there's something that you have that no one else on campus has. My wife was a student at JMU, and uh, there's multiple times people would drop students off at her house because they were they were just depressed or oppressed or some kind of moment. They didn't know what to do with them. So they would drop them off at the lighthouse where tw- you know, 10 Christian gals live. Michelle and a friend would bring them up to the, they, the upper rim is what they called it. And they would, they would pray and see people, I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but they, they would basically see lots of these, these women delivered from demonic oppression in her college years. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon them. To set the captives free. There are so many people on our campuses that are bound and they don't even realize. Because that's the way the enemy works in the West. Is that he is so subversive that he's fooling people to believe that everybody has got to live this way. And if we don't embrace life in the spirit and we start walking in the power. We can't set people free. Only he can. And how can we not desire more of the things of the spirit so that we can see a movement of God ripping people out of hell, setting people free, delivering people from the bondage of sin? How can this not be something that our generation, that we as a movement go after day after day? And once you start once you even have that moment of, of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you don't stop there, but that there's more. Because we, we, we haven't seen the fullness yet, right? The kingdom isn't fully here yet. There's still more. The kingdom's still advancing. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back. And until then, will there be a generation that rises up to walk in the Spirit to see people ripped out of hell? To empower our witness on a campus. There are too many people waiting. At Virginia Tech, we have 30,000 students. You know how many people are involved in campus ministry at Virginia Tech? 1,500. 1,500 out of 30,000. I don't know about you, but that's not okay with me. And I know for sure it's not okay with my Father in heaven. 30,000 people or 29,000 people can go to hell if we don't start living submitted to the things of the Spirit, being willing to get out of our comfort zone, 
You know, I thought it was interesting real quick that Sean Gallion talked about being soul tired. That there's a weariness that is being permeated through, I believe, all Christian fellowships. Because there's this thing called spiritual warfare. And I think what happens is, again, in the West, we're lulled to sleep about this reality. But what would happen if we fought in the spirit for these people? Not just the people that are are lost, but also the people that should have been here. There are people in our life groups that could not afford to miss this. I'm just, I, just, I just really believe, and I know all of your campus pastors really believe, that the people that sit before me, when you mix your love for the Word of God and the empowerment of the Spirit upon your life, Do you want to know what that does? It causes the enemy to tremble. Because I believe there is nothing more lethal than a believer that is firmly grounded on the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God. Friends, what an opportunity we all have. What an opportunity we all have. The Spirit of the Lord dwells within you. Now I invite all of you to continue to seek out more of His Spirit on your life. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what, where you came from. But I remember I was witnessing my first, I got saved on February 3rd. And I found myself in Las Vegas on a mission trip the first week of March with this crazy group called Chi Alpha. I didn't even know I'm from Jersey. I didn't even know they called Las Vegas the city of sin until I got there. You know what I'm saying? And I got down there, and I'm witnessing on the streets of Las Vegas. And, I mean, I couldn't even get somebody to engage in a conversation with me for more than a hello. And I remember my campus pastor saying, Hey, man, have you thought about praying to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I was like, no. I did not know there was a Holy Spirit. (laughs) I mean, that's how young in the Lord I was. And for a year, I prayed just about every day for more of the Spirit on my life. For about a year, friends. And I was at this little tent revival in... I want to think, I think it's called Sunflower, Montana. I don't even remember what. Anyway, middle of nowhere, big tent revival. There were 17 families there. And the Spirit of God came upon me. And I, it just messed me up in such a good way. In such a good way. And I just, you know, again, it didn't, doesn't make me better than anybody, but I'm so grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm so grateful. And I just want to encourage you to be asking for more of the Spirit in your life. Amen? I want you to turn in your Bibles as we end this session. Just to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I want you to stand up.
And I want you to, I want us to read this passage out, 18 through 19. I want us to read it out together. And then I, I want you guys to, and then, and then oh, I'm going to pray over us after it's over. So ready? One, two, three. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Lord, I thank you so much for these students. I thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the life of Jesus that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit. God, we say we need your help. God, we need your help. We need you to empower us with your Spirit. God, there's too many lives. God, at stake. God, we need your power. We need your anointing to see people ripped out of hell, to see people, God, healed and made whole. God, we ask, oh God, that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that you would anoint us, God. God, that this would be something that, God, we realize the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in us. And now we say, Holy Spirit, come upon us again right now, to empower us, God, to witness. Lord, we need you, God. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.